I'm Hal Stewart, BFBS broadcaster and huge football fan. I've been getting footballers talking to the troops via some online events where members of the British Armed Forces and their families put questions to them. This is the second in our series. It features my chat with former Navy man, footballer, manager and current TV presenter, Chris Kami Kamara. Here's a taste of what's coming up. I wanted to join the armed forces. And to be fair, I was quite happy to join the Royal Navy. When I was a kid, it was my ambition to play for Middlesbrough, where I was born, and my dream to play for Leeds. I played for both of them, so I achieved my ambition and my dream. But I scored for my dream club, so that has to be the pinnacle. It's great to have a catchphrase. When I go to grounds or go out in the street or whatever, people have a smile on their face when they see me. Well, it's incredible. It went viral. It's been seen by over 20 million people. Once upon a time on the pitch. I am delighted to introduce murder and successful actor. <laughs> you like that, did you? <laughs> did, mate. Wait, it gets better. Uh, the star of the street soccer computer game franchise. Oh, and, good. Taking us back. And occasional football pundit, Chris Kamara. <laughs> hey, welcome everybody. <laughs> Thank Can you. you just, hang on one second. My wife is crawling on the floor <laughs> round here. What are you doing? Oh, she wants the telephone, so it doesn't. She's ring. allowed to be in shock. She's so thoughtful. That's Sorry, carry on. That's a good start. For, the, for those of us just joining, it's been carnage since the beginning. So you haven't. Oh, you're not anything. wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> but I want to say uh, thank you to. Chris Kamara, thank you as well to Tickets for Troops, the military charity, which provides free tickets to members of the armed forces and BFBS as well for making this happen. My name is Hal Stewart, if you're not familiar with me. It doesn't really matter. It's not about me. It's all about Cami. Welcome to officially called Quiz Chris Kamara. I think we can all agree it should have been called Quiz Kamara, but we'll go I with Quiz Chris with Kamara. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Cami. Cami, we should really start with, for those that don't know, it isn't a long story, uh, but can you tell us about your time in the Royal <laughs> Navy? Yeah, well, incredible, really. I was due to leave school at the age of 16, and uh, my dad, who marched my brother down to the recruiting office to join the Army, the Green Hours, did exactly the same to me, but this time he wanted me to follow in his footsteps and sign on for the Royal Navy. You can imagine there are loads of people out there, myself included, in this day and age who would not do anything like that to their kids. It's them to decide what their future should be. But my dad was so worried about me being involved in Middlesbrough because obviously we were one of the first black families in Middlesbrough, one of the first black families on our estate. So he said, you're not going to do any good round here. I want you to join the armed forces. And to be fair, I was quite happy to join the Royal Navy. That's where the good fortune came about. When I got to Torpoint in Devon, the Royal Navy football team was training there. And I went down the first couple of weeks after I'd been at the training establishment. I went down to see the football team and asked the coach if I could join in. And he said, no, 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 we don't allow recruits to join in because up until six months in the Navy, you don't actually belong to the 
the Navy, you have a decision at the end of that six months, whether you like it or they like you or whatever, and you sign on the dotted and then you sign your contract away for life. So I was basically on trial. So he said, look, we can't allow you in the Navy football team. So I said, yeah, fine, fair enough. I went down one day to watch them and there were two players short. So the coach said, I'll play on one side and you play on the other. But I better warn you that these lot will kick lumps out of you and all sorts. Well, I'd played men's football since I was 14. So it didn't bother me in any way, shape or form. And I ended up scoring a couple of goals. He actually asked for special dispensation to put me in the Navy football team. And the rest is history. We played Portsmouth. Portsmouth bought me out for 200 quid. It still goes down as the worst deal in the club's history. What are you nodding at, Al? You're supposed to laugh at that one. <laughs> the worst deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and they, the Navy sent a letter to my dad saying they'll take me back if it doesn't work out as a footballer. So he was happy. Your dad's, uh, this is Albert, isn't it? I think you, you told me his name when I Albert, yeah. years ago. Absolutely, yeah. I must have been incredibly proud, brother in the, the army, you doing well initially in the Navy and then becoming a professional footballer of some repute. My career has been fantastic from start to finish. You know, I played for 22 years as a professional. I'd played for some great clubs. Uh, you support one of them, Al. I'd played for some great managers. Luckily enough, my final club playing-wise, was Bradford and uh, Lenny Lawrence, who was the manager for them, made me play a coach. And then I became player manager when Lenny got the sack. Then I had a little go at Stoke and then moved into TV. And I've had 22 years of, what can I say, unbelievable times. Of course, you've got to say unbelievable. I've got to say that, yeah. (laughs) Actually, while you've mentioned that, on a kind of hourly or is it daily basis that someone will say to you, unbelievable, Jeff? <laughs> daily. 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 Yeah. But to be fair, since lockdown, it's few and far between. So come on, let's hear it. <laughs> unbelievable, Jeff. Nil, nil. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's great to have a catchphrase. When I go to grounds or go out in the street or whatever, people have a smile on their face when they see me. It's not a gift. But it's nice, you know, it's it's Wonderful. something that I can only think how privileged I am. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get to some of the questions that have uh, been submitted. Uh, Daniela Elvstad says, uh, Chris, we're going with we're going with Cammy, by the way. He's insisting on that. Of course. Only there's only one person in this world that calls me Chris, and she was just crawling along <laughs> that floor a minute ago. <laughs> very thoughtfully removing the phone for those late joiners. I thought that was very kind of your your good lady wife. But uh, Daniela says, um, as you were coming up the youth ranks at Portsmouth. Who did you look up to and think, that's who I want to be? George Graham, the ex-Arsenal manager. Peter Marinello, the cat. Um, so I loved them both. Norman Piper was playing in my position in midfield. So he was a decent player at the time. But I made my debut up front alongside George Graham against Luton Town. We lost the game, unfortunately, but I scored in my second game away at Bolton Wanderers. And uh, George used to look after me and Steve Foster, a uh, big centre-half, went on to play for Luton for quite a few years. And uh, many a good night out with Portsmouth with George <laughs> when I was only 16, I have to say. 
<laughs> so much has changed. Drag my kids out of the pub when they were 16. What are you doing? <laughs> I just can't imagine it. Uh, you're still incredibly passionate about the armed forces and supporting our military through a number of initiatives, I suppose, just like this tonight uh, as a very good example. Why are you still so passionate? Because you do a lot. Well, uh, you can never forget where you're coming from. And I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't join the Royal Navy. You cannot change the course of history, no matter if it's good or it's bad. It's happened for a reason, and it's your path in life, and that's the way you go through it. And part of my life was joining the Royal Navy. If I had taken my apprenticeship at Middlesbrough Football Club, I just think, where would I be today? Because there was seven of us given the opportunity to be apprentices. Uh, the only player who turned it down was a fellow called Bill Athey, who decided to become a cricketer instead. He played for England and Yorkshire. Uh, the other six, myself taken away from that six, uh, the other five all never made it. And wow. three of them were exceptional players at our level. And they ended up playing non-league football for the rest of their careers. So you just think, well, if I'd have followed their course, would I have made it? Probably not. Where would I be today? Who knows? The path of history took me to the Navy and fate took over from then on. Well said. Uh, Liam Doyle has said, while you're talking about the Navy, Cammy, can you share any funny stories, any reminiscences from your experience in the Navy? No, not really, no, because I was good at sport. That's basically all I did. Didn't do hardly any Navy whatsoever. I never went on a ship. Um, the only ship uh, was HMS Nelson, and it had one in the forecourt of the uh, compound in Portsmouth. You know, like I said, thankful for the fact that I was in there. Absolutely. Karen Walsh has said, I'm a huge Blade supporter, currently serving in the Royal Air Force. Who was the funniest player you played with when you played for the mighty Red and White Wizards and why? <laughs> Carl Bradshaw was the joker in the dressing room and he got away with murder, actually. He was a good lad. Harry Bassett, Dave Bassett, who was the manager, was a top guy, but somehow Bradders was the only one who could take the mickey out of him and he would laugh at himself. Anybody else did it and they got absolutely hammered. Now, I had a great time at Sheffield United. One of the stories I do remember from Harry, we played Liverpool on Boxing Day in 1993, I think it was, or 94, I'm not sure. We drew nil-nil. It was a frosty old pitch. We had these, uh, like, cork studs that the kit manager, Johnny Greaves, put in the studs. We kept our balance better than Liverpool that day. As it turned out, it was nil-nil. I got the Man of the Match award. And what you had to do, you had to put your boots in the skip later on because we, we were travelling the next day to play Arsenal away. Uh, on the 28th. So I've gone up to the sponsors, come back down, gone to put my boots in the skip, looked at the list, 24 players. My name's not on there. Jeff Taylor was the coach. So I said to Jeff Taylor, have you missed my name off here? He went, he went oh, you better go and see Harry. So I said, where is he? He said, oh, he's shot off. He's gone to a party in London. 
I have then got the skip with all the boots and the kitten, thrown it over, stood on it, put a dent in it and everything, and Jeff Taylor's trying to calm me down. And I say, no, 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 it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. So I get home and uh, I get a phone call. Anyway, my wife answers the phone. It's Harry. He goes, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? So I said, Harry, I've got man of the match. And you've not even put me in the 24 players. He said, uh, that's the thing coming. Those supporters don't know anything about football. <laughs> he said, don't believe that for one minute. He said, the only good thing is that's the reason why you're still playing at that age in the Premier League, because of your attitude of being, not being involved. But I need fresh legs. You played well today, but I'm leaving you out of boxing day. You'll be back on to play Wimbledon. So I thought, oh, great. I'm chuffed, said to my wife, and oh, it's all right, Harry's just resting me. I fully understand that, but I'll be back against Wimbledon. So uh, she said, when's that? So I said, oh, I don't know. Anyway, I looked in the diary and the fixture list, and it's March the 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, I played. That was my next game. Wow. <laughs> he, was, he was famous for that, Dave Bassett, for leaving players out, you know, even if they just scored a hat-trick the previous game. He was... He was oh, famous. weird. Weird. Very strange way of management, but hey, it was successful for him. Brilliant. Yeah. Man management. Really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Longevity in the game, I think a testament to that. Also, I want to thank uh, Tickets for Troops again for making this happen tonight. Thanks to all of you that keep submitting your questions, like Chief Petty Officer Phil Kilpatrick, who says, uh, good evening, Cammy. Given the changes at Sky Sports News recently and being the great role model you are in our diverse football community, did you feel that the change was needed to take the stereotype away? And do you prefer to be at the grounds that you are at on a Saturday afternoon or would you rather be in a full-time position in a warm, cosy studio? The first question about the boys, I miss them. We've been working together for more or less 14, maybe 15 years. We get on brilliantly. Tomo, Charlie and Latisse, had they come to the end of their tether? Not in my opinion. I didn't think it was broke, so it didn't need to be fixed. I do understand, though, where Sky are coming from because I've been there before. When I first started working at Sky in 1998, it was Frank McClintock, George Bess, Rodney Marsh, Clive Allen, Alan Mullery, and all those top, top players. So I thought they would be there forever in a day. But Sky decided when they went for Tom and Charlie and uh, Latisse and Merce, that it was time for a change, time to bring in new blood. The only thing that disappointed me with the boys is they still had time left on their contract. So I thought, you know, if it was me, I'd, I'd prefer to be phased out rather than it's in the public domain that Sky have gotten rid of me. But we get on fantastic. We get on brilliantly. We've had some great times together. The boys are, are not upset. I won't be upset when it comes, my time comes. It's inevitable. Uh, as far as me being at the grounds is concerned, in 2002, the producer, Ian Condren, rang me at home and said, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to send somebody out to the grounds to go and film them at the grounds. So do you fancy it? So I said, well, 
Condor, to be fair, people haven't really got their head round people watching the TV sets in the studio. He said, do you want to do it or don't you? And I went, yeah, yeah, of course, I'll give it a go. Never th thought for one minute it would work. And uh, I actually, the game I got was Oxford United versus Walsall. So he said, what we'll do is we'll come to you about two o'clock and then if there's any goals during the game, we'll come to you as in when they go in. So I get there, we get there at a half past 12, setting up, make sure everything's perfect for Sky. This is the first ever broadcast uh, live at a ground on Soccer Saturday. In Condren, the producer rings me and he says, we're not gonna come to you until 2.30. You okay with that? I said, yeah, yeah, fine. 20 past two, the ITV cameraman, who's been the manor ground in Oxford for 35 years, tells me that I'm in his spot. So I said, I'm sorry, mate, but Sky are the, the cash cow now for the football league. So unfortunately, <laughs> you'll have to move that. So he goes, no, no, this is my spot. This is the only spot I'm going at. Of which... I get a message from Ian Condon in my ear. We're coming to you now. I'm trying to do the first ever two-way with Jeff, and I've got this cameraman trying to go across the shot. So I'm holding him off with my arm, talking to Jeff. Well, it's good here. Windass is playing for Oxford, and so-and-so is playing for Walsall. <laughs> and I'm holding him off like that. They cut out of it. They can realise there's something wrong and they cut out the shot. Anyway, they never came back to me during the game. So I'm devastated now. I think that's the end of it. On the Saturday on Soccer AM, Tim Lovejoy and Helen Chamberlain showed that clip of the me holding off the cameraman and him trying to walk across the shot. And it was made, Kamara Cam was made. Fate. Thank goodness for that rude man. <laughs> Uh, I wonder anything. If I've ever seen him since. I wonder. He'll remember you, that's yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> strong arm. Um, they've been anything but rude in the questions. Some lovely ones coming through. Uh, Neil Jones, as the chairman of RAF Football, I'm glad you didn't stay in the Navy. You regularly... <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, you regularly hear managers complaining about too many fixtures in the professional game, particularly around Christmas. And yet football is a part of the entertainment industry. Christmas is normally a key part of entertainment for fans over the holidays. What are your views on whether we play too much football and have some managers lost sight of football for what it actually is, entertainment? I think it's a difficult time at this moment in time with the COVID crisis. I do understand where the managers are coming from because I've been there as a manager and know what it's like to be playing game after game after game. But the biggest thing about all of this, I'm sure it can relate to non-football managers or non-professional players. When I go to the grounds on a Saturday or in midweek, it's eerie. It's not football as you know it. It's quiet. There's nobody there. They turn up in a coach. They get changed the opposite side of the ground or a long way away from each other in a porter cabin or mm. whatever. They don't mix as players. There's no atmosphere around the ground. You can hear them talking and you can hear the managers shouting. You can hear the players on the pitch. 
it's hard for the players to get motivated. And people say, oh, it's not you on Sky anymore. Well, I can't recreate passion and atmosphere if it's not there. And mm. I live off of that. So I'm finding it difficult. So I know the players are finding it difficult. The managers are always going to complain about however many games on top of games on top of games. Even though they have squads of 25 players, they rarely play about 10 of those players in that 25-man squad. I understand where they're coming from, that it's a lot on their experienced players and their talented players to keep playing week in, week out. But we have to allow it, you know, the moaning, allow the moaning. This is a strange time. I would never have believed in a million, million years if anybody had said to me, when we went into lockdown last March, we would still be in it going into December. I'd have said, no, you're crazy. Don't worry about it. We'll be out of this in a couple of weeks. Absolutely agree. I went to the last game that I was actually able to go to back in February and said the same to my dad, like, oh, we'll be back here again soon. Don't worry, it'll be a few months. And and here we are, you know, it's looking like it's going to be probably a year, maybe more. So um, you're absolutely right. And you can't recreate that atmosphere. And you're also spot on with keeping an unchanged side. We saw what happened with Leicester City in 2015, I think it was, when they won the Premier League with a, pretty much the same 11 playing that 4-4-2 uh, week in, week out. Absolutely. How did they win the league with that back four? <laughs> I asked um, yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of their players that and they said, Kante, just sitting in front of them. That's how they did it. Yeah, it certainly wasn't due to Danny Simpson. Uh, right. Now. <laughs> no, no, Danny did great. Don't <laughs> knock him. He did I'm only, great. I'm only joking. He's far better than a me. Team is a, a team is a team, that's for sure. And they all clicked. Absolutely. Now, uh, more on this on our weekly BFBS radio programme, Team Talk. But you have just mentioned atmosphere and how different the world is at the moment. So how have you personally found 2020 lockdown and all that's come with it? The lockdown has been incredible. The week before lockdown, my oldest son, Ben, who's uh, married to Eve, two kids, moved into our house. My other son, Jack, and his partner, Purdy, and their daughter, Connie, they lived next door. So we had three, nearly four months of absolute, the best family time you could ever wish to have. I never had it with my kids. You know, you're always either and wherever, playing football or doing stuff or whatever. But just to be in the same house virtually together, we had an absolute ball. There was a silver lining for me, and I know that not everybody can say that. We've got a, a question from Cy Wayne, who is a, a, a Stoke fan, Duck. And uh, he'd love to know basically what you think of your managerial career and also asking a tough question, do you have any regrets of that time? Uh, no, because you can't change the course of history. My only regret is I wish I'd have done better. I went into Stoke. It's quite incredible, really. You look back at a, a situation where you go in as a manager. I went in there and I did... 13 games of football and ended up getting the sack. I made mistakes, but I took over a team that two weeks before I took over, I lost a record 7-0 at home. So I think I can go in there and change it all around. They'd won one in 12 games before I took over. I had to take on the manager who they sacked as my coach 
who never ever gets a mention, by the way, it was the manager that lost 7-0. I can imagine me, I expected him to resign, you know, straight away to say, go to the board and say, look, you know, to be honest, you can't have me as the manager, sack me as the manager, and then have me coach uh, with Chris Kamara. Uh, but he didn't. He's, he hung on. So we had we had a separation in the dressing room like you could never imagine. People who like the previous manager who was still there, but then was my coach. And so what I had to do is I had to try and change things very, very quickly and bring a lot of players in. The only problem was I didn't have any money. On my first game, we're playing away at Swindon, one of my old clubs. Mm -hmm. I get a phone call at four o'clock from the chairman to say, I cannot play my best player. So I had had Martin O'Neill and Kenny Daglish on the phone trying to buy Andy Griffin, who was the left back. So I was playing one off against the other, trying to get as much as I possibly could for Andy Griffin. But the one thing I knew on my first game, he was still a Stoke player, so he had to play for me. But he refused to play for me on my first game at four o'clock in the afternoon. So my chairman's ringing me. So all of a sudden, that was a situation where it went downhill from then on. But do I regret it? No, of course I don't. I wouldn't be where I am today. The only thing I regret, and it's the biggest disappointment ever for someone who was only at a club for 13 games, it is mentioned the whole time. Even though Nathan James, Nathan Jones, I should say, mm. won one in 21 games, that local press, I know what the ulterior motive is, mention uh, that I am the so-called worst manager and all that sort of absolute nonsense. I look at Chris Coleman going to Sunderland and trying to turn things around, impossible. Out of my depth in certain situations, but look where I am today. Yep. Craig and Karina, who are at RAF Lossy Mouth, would actually like to know, would you ever consider, Cammy going back into football management if an offer came up? No, not at all. 22 years I've been at Sky. Um, you don't get a manager's job for 22 years. The loyalty that Sky have shown me. I know people are saying, look, it's too diverse now. You know, what are they doing? You know, uh, they're trying to get too many women involved. They're trying to get too many black people involved. Slow down a little bit. Well, it's to make up for lost time. That's the reason why they're doing it. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, they gave me an opportunity 22 years ago and they've stood by me from then on. I'm a loyal type person. Uh, the only way I'm leaving Sky is if they get rid of me because I've had opportunities to leave Sky, opportunities to go into other forms of television and I wouldn't do it. You know, I could have gone in the jungle. Well, uh, I'm a celebrity the last three years on the bounce, but I wouldn't be like Harry Redknapp in Australia for six, seven weeks or whatever without not knowing what's going back on at home in terms of football. You're right about when you haven't been a manager for a long time, it does seem like you get you get forgotten. I think if you look at someone like, um, let's pick a really brilliant manager, Alan Kerbishley, he's been out of the mm -hmm. game now for so long that he's not even considered and he is still, I'm sure, a fantastic manager who's probably still in touch very much with the modern game. 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. I It always something that baffles me with Curbs, why he never decided to go back into it. I'm sure he must have had opportunities. I kept getting opportunities for five or six years after, because once you're in the public eye and you're on the TV and you're talking football the whole time, Gillingham came in for me, Bradford, another one of mine, uh, well, my former club as a manager, came back to see if I would manage them, Swansea. I had quite a few clubs to sort of like try and see if I would be interested. Do you think actually the role of manager now is almost unrecognisable from your time at Stoke and Bradford? Uh, yeah, probably is. Not in the lower division. Mm. I think it's still the same. Well, in, in fact, it's so much better. When I see some of these championship clubs, when I was manager, it was myself, was the manager, Paul Jewell was a coach, Martin Hunter was a coach, uh, Smithy was the youth team coach, and we had a, a physio and a kit man, six people. Now... There's six people on the pitch on a Saturday at a football club. One that's warming up, one that's holding the back four. There's loads of physios with drinks and everything else like that. So, uh, yeah, it's changed of all proportion, but maybe not lower down. Jack Stockton, age 11, son of RAF Flight Sergeant. Hey, hi, Jack. Cammy, what is the most unbelievable moment you've ever seen on a football pitch? I've seen or not seen. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the most unbelievable moment that I have seen. Well, I've by seen the way, some... while Cammy's thinking of that, for those that don't know what he's talking about, there was a, a time when Jeff Stelling went to Chris Kamara to, to get an update on a, on a sending off in a Portsmouth game. Uh, so there's been a sending off, Chris. <laughs> How's the Jeff? Well, it's incredible. It went viral. It's been seen by over 20 million people. So uh, <laughs> to be fair, I thought I was going to get it as trouble because how it happened was the uh, the gantry was closed off for health and safety that day. The only people who were allowed into the gantry was the match commentator. So I, they stuck me in the corner of the frat end. But then it started to rain. Health and safety officer came over and he said, if you're too close to the pitch and the players either come off the pitch, one of them might get electrocuted. The cameraman went, no, don't be daft. That's impossible. He said, well, look, you're going to have to move back. So I had to move back down the tunnel. When I was watching the game, I was stood on near the corner flag. So uh, I could see what was going on. But then I got, got a call from Carly Bassett, Dave Bassett's daughter, mm -hmm. who is the link between me and Jeff on a Saturday, to say that they were coming to me. Anyway, just as I got over there, Tomo shouts, go. So I'm looking over my shoulder and my peripheral vision of the game isn't great. Carly says, definitely you next. Just as that, there's another goal goes in. Merce or someone shouts, go. So she said, don't worry, you're next. Look over my shoulder. Jeff comes to me. Let's go down to Crystal Marrow, Fratton Park, where there's been a sending off. Sending off? I must have missed that, Jeff. <laughs> Cammy, Cammy, according to our sources, Anthony <laughs> Van der Boer has been sent off for a second bookable offence. Get your fingers out and count the number of players on the pitch. <laughs> no, I actually saw him going off because Abraham Grant was on the touchline with him, but I actually thought that he'd been subbed. Anthony Van der Boer did what English players wouldn't do in a million years. Because he'd already been booked, when he deliberately handled the ball, he walked 
So he didn't wait for the referee's second yellow card. It's been such an iconic moment on Sky, and it's not done me any harm. I think yeah. I moved into mainstream TV from then on. From there, there, there are people I said I was going to be speaking to you tonight about and and Anthony van der Bos here is he? Thought <laughs> we'd bring the Belgian out. Absolutely. Hey. <laughs> I was going to say that there are there are people that know you from from your non-football life. You've become yeah. a celebrity. I mean, you've got over a million followers on Twitter. That doesn't happen for former Sheffield United defenders. Uh, no, I've been lucky, haven't I? I moved into mainstream TV with Ninja Warrior, a couple of episodes of Emmerdale, Catchphrase, Panel Show, I have been on, Have I Got News For You, all those types of things I've done. And I just go into them and have a bit of fun. Ninja Warrior has been a wonderful, wonderful programme. I'm just so lucky. I'm really lucky. I love that show. And I'll tell you now, I think I can do it. Yeah, oh, good. You're on. I will get you in there then. That's... <laughs> nice one, Cammy. Sorted. After Murder in Success, Phil, I mentioned that twice now, but that's because you managed to make established actors corpse is the saying isn't it in the in the biz you made them laugh so much they couldn't carry on with their lines <laughs> you you were so funny on that and and i was wondering if there is any further plans to do more acting but maybe like another former footballer maybe like vinnie jones go into the serious stuff on a regular basis obviously vinnie i know well um we played at leeds together and at sheffield i don't know i mean if i get an offer uh, great. Murder is successful. Tom Davis, he's a genius as well. Comedy genius. The thing about that show, it's all improv. You get a, an outfit. We were two policemen. We went undercover as two prostitutes. Uh, and so obviously they give me this woman's clothes, but they don't tell you you know, what the scene's going to be like or whatever. And you've just got to throw your heart and soul into it. And I did. And it was funny. It was good. I loved it. Thinking on your feet is what I'm good at. And mm. I like that. But Vinny, Vinny, in 2011, me and my wife went to LA. So uh, she said, I want to do the Hollywood tour. So we got on one of them buses. He takes us to the Hollywood sign. So you get a picture with the Hollywood sign in the background and we're doing all, all that sort of stuff for the holiday snaps. And then we go Mulholland Drive. So we go Mulholland Drive. The first house we go to, the Colombian guide says, uh, you probably won't know this actor. He's starring Gone in 60 Seconds. And he named all these films. And he said his name is Beanie Yones. I said to my wife, I know Beanie. She went, you don't know Beanie Onis. I said, it's Spanish, isn't it? The B replaces the B. He thinks he's saying Vinny. And Jones, he thinks it's Jonas. So uh, I says to this guy, I says, I know him, I know him. So uh, he goes, uh, knocks on the door. Anyway, Vinny's not in. So we get back in the bus we go to uh, Ron Howard from Happy Days mm -hmm. his house on the right hand side Denzel Washington Oprah Winfrey the whole lot of the other and I think I wonder if Finney's still on his number from uh, when I last spoke to him so I ring him he said uh, he's out playing golf he says come back to mine for a barbecue you know where I live now so we do the guided tour then we go to Malibu Beach and then we decide to 
head off to Vinny's. We get back to Vinny's house. We go in. He's loving it, and he? he's showing us round. His wife, Tanya, God rest her soul, was there. And uh, Michael Gecko, do you remember him? Yeah. He was out there, he was out there trying to be a professional poker player. We're outside by the pool area, and we're telling Vinny the story about what the Colombian driver did. He goes, oh, yeah, he said, I mess about with him. He said, I opened my gates, electronic gates, and they're all waiting and waiting and waiting. He said, and then I gave him another five minutes, and I shut it. So he went, where did you go from here? So I said, we go to uh, Ron Howard's house and then uh, Denzel Washington. So he, he went... Didn't you go next door? So I said, no. So he goes, Quentin Tarantino lives next door. Wow. So, so Beanie Yones got a mention <laughs> and Quentin didn't get a look in. <laughs> I love it. Maybe arguably the most famous director of modern times. Doesn't get a mention. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We'll, we'll come to things that are more fresh in the memory, uh, such as your your music. I'd love to know, a few people have asked, uh, Simon as well here on The Messages, how the music's going, because you've now released your second album and a happy new year. I was doing um, All Together Now. It's a show that had Jerry Halliwell and Rob Beckett on it. It's like 100 cabaret actors. So my agent rang me and said, do you fancy doing it? And I said, yeah. So he said, what do you want to sing? So I said, I'll sing Brown Eyed Girl. And they said, oh, we've got too many people singing sing-along songs. Would he do a ballad? So I went, no, 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 I'm not doing it. And he went, my agent said, it's not like you. You normally go into these things and just have a bit of fun. So I went, no, yeah, you're right. So I said, if I've got to do a ballad, it's got to be from my hero, Elton John, your song. So you went to them and they said, yeah, I do the show, I sing your song, I get knocked out, but Adam Greenup from Silver Screen Records is watching the show, thinking my voice would be perfect to sing with a 22-piece big band and a conductor and the rest is history. The first album, number eight in the charts last year, five weeks at number one in the jazz charts, one week at number one in the indie charts. I told Noel Gallagher that. He went, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, I do, Noel, but number eight, they decided pretty much straight away that we were going to go for it again. Back in March, just before lockdown, we started recording. I bet that felt weird doing Christmas songs back then. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But trying to get the big band together and me together at the same time with our diaries meant that you had to do it at every available opportunity. So Richard Scott said, I've done a cover, a swing cover, of I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. Didn't sound anything like it at all. But once you put the words to the big band sound, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. I said, I absolutely love it. But the only thing is, I'm critical of people who do covers of iconic songs. You know, so I said to him, look, I know it doesn't sound anything like it, but the lyrics are the same. You know Roy Wood. Would you ask him if he likes it? And if he likes it, then we can put it on the new album. And Roy said, not only do I love it, he said, I'll intro Cammy at the top. Roy Wood from Wizard, wow. a song that I play every year since 1973 when it came out. Everyone has. Does it get any better? Absolutely brilliant. 
Quite agree. And and actually, George is having a bit of fun here. Sergeant George, we'll give him his full name, Sergeant Paul George. He said, Cammy, be honest. Do you regret joining the Navy when you could have joined the Army and been a real boy? <laughs> no, not at all. My brother was in the green hours. He saw some sights. Uh, he never recovered, actually. I have to say, he went to Belfast. He used to sign up to go to Belfast. Lots of his mates never made it back. And he carried the scars around with him for a long, long time. Uh, he's no longer with us. A lot of that was that contribution. So I'm glad my life worked out as it did. For you boys, it's a passion. It's a life. It's a vocation. And hopefully you all stay safe. Well said. I mean, there's so much love for you that's that's coming on the messages. Lots of football fans from from different clubs. Was it always the case that you got on very, very well with supporters? Is there any one club you played for where you were particularly fond of the fans? And I'm not pushing uh, for any uh, Sheffield United answer here. I'd love your honesty. <laughs> no, I, I, I got on well with all the supporters. When I was a kid, it was my ambition to play for Middlesbrough where I was born and my dream to play for Leeds. I played for both of them, so I achieved my ambition and my dream. But I scored for my dream club, so that has to be the pinnacle. You're clearly very proud of your roots because the first thing it says on your your Twitter bio is Middlesbrough born. Never forget where you're coming from. Take that, sang that song, and if you listen to the words carefully, it, they're absolutely brilliant. You know, I'll never forget. You know, I'll never forget Middlesbrough. I wouldn't be where I am today if I wasn't born in Middlesbrough. My best mate in the whole wide world is the Middlesbrough chairman Steve Gibson. So mm. I keep me fingers crossed for him all the time. We. We were in the same class from the age of five until we were 15. So we've always looked out for each other. Got a bit more money than I have, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> but he would swap everything to a played. Uh, for me personally, I just like to say that your co-commentary doesn't get enough praise. Uh, you were the analyst on some of my favourite ever championship matches. There's one I'm thinking of now. I'll, I'll never forget the phrase you used in uh, the Sheffield Derby, which was an apology for a challenge. And actually, in the same game, you said, Maddox goes out for the pies. <laughs> uh, that was one of the things I had to give up uh, because I was on telly too much. Once I'd got goals on Sunday, basically, I'd done Soccer Extra before then, but we got our own show, me and Robin McCaffrey, goals on Sunday. What they said to me is, you're doing Soccer Saturday twice a week, you're doing goals on Sunday and you're doing commentaries. You have to give one of them up. So they chose to drop me doing the commentaries. I had the opportunity for Amazon to go back to doing co-coms. But I asked my boss at Sky and he said, do you know there could be our biggest rival over the next few years? So the answer is no. It's a loss for, from us as fans because there's very few co-commentators, particularly on telly, maybe a bit more on radio, that actually make you laugh. But not only that, have insightful analysis. And I thought that you exemplified that and I really enjoyed Thanks, it. When so. I knew you were doing a game, I used to really... I'd say to my dad, we've got to watch this game because Cammy's on co-coms. Thank you for that. I do miss that. When people say, you know, I'm a joker, but if you watch Goals on Sunday, it's an entertaining, analytical programme. Mm. I get in very early on a Sunday morning, go through all the analysis and decide what we're going to show 
how we're going to show it. Managers, scouts and all that would use our analysis on the show on a Sunday morning and the refs would have a look at it as well to see where they were going wrong. That says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> Chris Kamara, I could talk to you all night. Uh, however, the Zoom meeting would run out, so it would just be you and me. But then for a while we were talking before just as you and me and I enjoyed that as well. Uh, so I've got to say from all of us, thank you so, so much. Thank you again to Tickets for is, Troops. Is, is that it? Uh, I mean, if you want one more, the Blizzard just it. said, uh, apart from football commentary, what is your next favourite thing to do on TV? I can't get off the TV. That's one thing for sure. Whatever channel you put on, you will find me on there. <laughs> um, be interesting. Like you said, probably the films. I haven't cracked the films, you know. Being in em- Emmerdale, I watch Emmerdale. Um, so I don't think they'll let me in my other favourite soap, Coronation Street, having been in that one. Maybe the films after this. I think you've got, as I say in the business, you've got range. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fire and Sam might be looking for some. Yes, yes, Fire and Sam. <laughs> my nephews would love that, and then they'd know who I was talking to tonight. Oh, isn't it great, yeah. I do CBB's bedtime stories, and the grandkids just absolutely love it, so I don't turn that down. I'm doing Crackerjack cracker in a few weeks, so... This is because I don't have kids of my own. I didn't know this. Now that's yeah. fascinating. I'm going to have to tell my, my sister to get this. Chris Kamara, from all of us at BFBS and from Tickets for Troops for making this happen. Thank you so much for giving thank up the you. time. It was absolutely unbelievable. Thank you. Coming up next time, the Vinnie Jones. Became good mates with Brad Pitt. I took the wolf from Stoke Dogs one night. Uh, <laughs> he used to ring me up. He used to get bored at the hotel. What are you doing? Oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then we done a bit of fly fishing and that. And then I was going to Walkmanstow one night and uh, told his driver how to get there. And he came in round the back and sat upstairs next to me daughter with a steak and chips and picking out a few winners. Once upon a time, on the pitch. On the pitch.